Good morning. Welcome to Northminster Church on this rainy morning. I've heard several people say it was awfully tough to get out of bed today with this weather, so I'm glad that you are here and you made it for worship. Uh, whether you're joining us here in person or online, we are so grateful that you are taking this time to be with us to worship God this morning. I want to say a special word of welcome to any of you who are visiting with us. We are particularly honored by your presence and hope that you will participate in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. We celebrate communion here at Northminster weekly. Uh, so there are instructions on the insert to your order of worship if you have questions um, or follow the people around you. They won't lead you wrong. If you are in need of gluten-free wafer instead of the communion bread, just let us know when you get up to take communion. We do have those available. Uh, I want to encourage all of you to stay after worship today for our time of fellowship that happens out in our narthex. Get a little snack, have something to drink, and get to meet people a little more. Also after worship today is our new members and inquirers class. So if you signed up for that, that will be after worship today. Uh, we are providing food that sweetens the deal. Um, so do uh, please make your way to the back big Sunday school classroom that is on your right. The only real upcoming event that we have on the calendar right now is the Neela Pride Fall Family Gathering. And Megan is going to come uh, tell us about that. There she is. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I am Megan Proffer. I am the founder of Neela Pride, which is a new nonprofit organization. Our mission is to improve and enrich the lives of the LGBTQ plus here in Northeast Louisiana. And on Saturday the 14th, from 1 to 5, or with the help of all of y'all in Northminster, we are having our fall festival. It'll be a walkthrough event. We'll have games, candy, just the fun stuff. Just a quick little walkthrough. And if you want to get involved, we will take all the help we can get. You can volunteer to help set up and run games. Of course, we will take donors, donations and sponsorships. Um, what else? Oh, all of my bakers, if you can bake a cake, one of our biggest, somebody's getting pointed out, um, we are going to try to do some fundraising there, so we're going to do a cakewalk. If you would like to donate some baked goods, because you do not want me doing that, it would not be good. We would not make any money. Um, we're also going to try to find a way to do some shuttling back and forth. Planet Fitness has volunteered their parking lot, so if anybody would like to help shuttle people so we can keep the parking at a minimum here, that would be great. So I will be out there if you have any questions, or you can email me at neelapride at gmail.com. Good. Okay, that's better. Um, yeah, to echo what Megan said, if you, I know several of you are bakers. If you like to drive and you're willing to drive, please um, be, uh, talk to Megan, and let's be willing to lend a hand to make this a really successful event. The one in June was incredible. This one probably won't be quite that big, um, but it is a wonderful opportunity for us as a church to make use of all of this space that we have and to welcome the community. So please... Uh, sign up to volunteer if you are able. 
Now, if you would, uh, we're going to take a deep breath. After that, we will do our call to worship. So let's take a deep breath together. We take this deep breath, as you all know, to give our minds and our hearts and our bodies a chance to catch up with each other. It has been a busy week for many of us. So as you breathe in, breathe in the goodness of this space. Breathe in the joy and the comfort of being surrounded by people who care about you. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out the homework that might not be done. Breathe out the laundry that is never done. Breathe in again. Know that you are loved by God just as you are. And then let us worship God by joining in our call to worship, which is printed in your order of worship. God is our salvation, guiding us out of the darkness of the world. God is our salvation when we hunger for direction and meaning. Come now, put down the burdens of your days.
Hello, young friends. How are you today? Good. Did you want to get out of bed this morning with the rain? No, I didn't. No. So I've got a question for you. You ready? And I want you to raise your hand if you have an answer, okay? Why do you come to church? Ricky, you were first. You can learn more, more stuff? Okay. Yeah. Henry, why do you come to church? To pray to God. I got your name wrong, didn't I? I did. Why do you come to church, Parker? To learn about God. Why do you come to church, CJ? Um, loving him. Okay, because we love God. Yeah, why do you come to church? I'll come back to you. Um, so here's a question, and I want you to be honest because it's okay. How many of you come to church because your parents make you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. It was the same for me when I was a kid. My parents made me go to church, but it was good for me, just like it's good for you all to be here. But we also want you to come and have fun. We want you to come and learn, which it sounds like you do. We want you to come and make friends. Do you have friends here at church? Okay, and sister. You could be friends with your sister, that's okay. <laughs> we want you to come and meet people who aren't part of your family, so that if you look around all of those people out there, they are part of what's called your faith community. Can you say that, faith community? Faith, faith community. So this is your faith community. These are all people who aren't necessarily related to you. You don't live in the same house with them, but they care about you. We all care about each other here. So there are lots and lots and lots of reasons to come to church. Some of them are outside of our control sometimes, especially when we're kids, because we gotta do what our parents say, right? But I hope that you remember when you're here, everybody here cares about you. Everybody here wants what's best for you. Everybody here is willing to help you if you have a problem. So if you get into a situation where you need somebody, just look around and all of these people are here for that. And that's one of the very best parts of going to church. Does that make sense? A little bit? Okay, good. Now I want you to turn around, face the congregation. Sit all the way down, please. Thank you. Turn all the way around. We're going to keep our hands to ourselves. I will say the first line of our prayer. I want you to say it back to me nice and loud. Face the congregation. Adults, you are welcome to join in. You ready? I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. Kids, I think you can be louder. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now.
reading from John 3, 1 through 8. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. A reading from Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the Lord's ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. A reading from John 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A reading from Isaiah 12. You will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and you comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord is my strength and my might. The Lord has become my salvation. A reading from Mark 16. After this, Jesus appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were sitting at the table, and he upbraided them for their lack of faith and stubbornness, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. A reading from Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. As we pray together this morning, I would like to offer you 
A translation of Psalm 62 that I found to be quite lovely this week. It is from the voice uh, version of the Bible. Let's pray together. My soul quietly waits for the true God alone because I hope only in him. God alone is my rock and deliverance, my citadel high on a hill. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my significance depend ultimately on God. The core of my strength, my shelter, is the true God. Having faith in the eternal in all circumstances, dear people, open up your hearts to God, for the true God shelters us in her arms. Human beings disappear like a breath. Even people of rank live artificial lives. Their weight is that of breath in a balance, nothing. Added together, they're still lighter than air. So do not resort to oppression. Resist the temptation of ill-gotten gain. If you achieve wealth, don't let your heart get attached. The true God spoke this once and twice I've heard it, that you, the true God, hold all power. Your love never fails, O Lord, and you pay back every person according to their deeds. Lord, we ask that this psalm be our prayer today, and we pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
from Acts 4, 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who is sick and are being asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. A reading from 2 Timothy. God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to purpose and grace. And this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. A reading from 1 John 5. Those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony in their hearts. Those who do not believe in God have made God a liar by not believing in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. A reading from Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for the pleasure of God. Do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world, holding forth the word of life so that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Casey. So as I was getting prepared this week, I uh, set myself quite a challenge. Craig Hendry and I were talking, and he said, you know, I don't think Welton even talked about salvation at any point. Um, and I thought, well, I am certainly not Welton, but I'm going to give it uh, the old college try, and I hope that you appreciate the effort, Welton. <laughs> So we're going to talk as our final week of clobber passages about salvation and being born again this morning, two very simple non-hot-button topics uh, that I'm sure will be simple, simple things for us to figure out. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, and may we hear a word from you today. Amen. So the first time I remember hearing the phrase being born again was at, um, I guess you would call it a, a teen revival. I don't really know what better word to use in my small East Texas town. This wasn't the first of these I'd gone to. Um, I mostly went because my friends were going, not because I uh, agreed with any of the theology. The only other one I remember, although I went to several, was... Um, one at the, the other Baptist church in town. 
uh, and we got what would Jesus do bracelets? Does anybody around my age remember those? They were a very big deal. And they were brand new. None of us knew what they were. So that one stands out, and this other uh, revival also stands out, because the speaker, I will never forget this, the speaker compared the cross to an electric chair. And it traumatized me. And he talked over and over and over again about the need to be born again. Now, I had been part of an SBC church, a Southern Baptist church, until uh, I was 10. Then we moved and found a different church. I had been told about the need for everyone to be baptized. I had been told about Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. I was even told the Bible was a letter God wrote specifically to me, all of which I'd heard before, and that list keeps going. But I had somehow never heard the phrase, to be born again, and it certainly was not language we used at my very progressive, very non-evangelical Baptist church. So I was confused. Uh, unlike most of my friends, I did not walk the aisle that evening uh, because I was also confused by the fact that so many of the kids walking the aisle were Methodist. <laughs> I knew they'd already been baptized. I didn't know what they were doing. So by a show of hands, and share only if you're comfortable, how many of you have heard those phrases, um, to be born again? Oh, yeah, very familiar. How many of you, when you hear it, it's kind of a negative reaction? Okay. How about the word salvation? Anybody have a negative reaction to that word? Kind of depends on who says it, who's talking about it. How about the question, are you saved? Anybody? Yeah. And is anybody maybe not totally clear on what it means to be saved, to be born again, or what it is to have salvation? A little fuzzy for anybody? Yeah. All of those responses, thank you for sharing them, all of those responses make sense because the purpose and the meaning of salvation, in my opinion, has gotten very muddled. And those words, those ideas can make us uncomfortable because they so often go hand in hand with the theology and approach to Christianity that many of us have intentionally walked away from. That is a theology that tends to be exclusionary and narrow rather than inclusive and broad. But as much as it would be nice to blame all of that discomfort, all of those negative feelings on evangelicalism, we can't really do that. Because we live in a society that's constantly, constantly hyping the latest products that can save us. Everything from Smirnoff to Starbucks, Volkswagen to Viagra, Amazon to AT&T. Along with advertising, corporate logos are cultural icons. And those icons seemingly point us toward what can make us feel better, look better, live better, and live longer. Now, if we're going to talk about salvation, we need to talk about some history. Uh, this is incredibly abbreviated. I am not going to give you the full salvation history of Christianity. We'd be here for three weeks. So know that this is very, very abbreviated. And very basically, and this is from Baptist historian Bill Leonard, he says this, 
accounts of the process of salvation have varied widely throughout church history. And throughout church history, Catholics and Protestants, by the way, we are Protestants, if you didn't know where you fit in the umbrella, Protest Catholics and Protestants have disagreed about how salvation comes. Not a big surprise there. But even among Protestants who claim faith alone is necessary for salvation, perspectives have never been uniform. Now, if you narrow the focus down to our Baptist ancestors, they responded to salvation, the idea of salvation, by insisting that the church is for saints only and requiring that every individual who would join a congregation profess faith in Jesus. Pretty standard. Now, part of what that did was it led Baptists to reject infant baptism because infants can't profess anything. But, and you'll be shocked by this, Baptist, even the Baptists couldn't agree on who got to be saved and how salvation was secured. Are you shocked? Yeah. So when the Great Awakening happened, and if you're not familiar, the Great Awakening was this massive religious revival that swept across what was then the British colonies of the 1720s through like the 1740s. When the Great Awakening happened, there came to be a theology of conversion and a methodology for securing the shape Baptist life still uses to this present day. And this will seem familiar. Unsaved people were called to walk the aisle as an outward and visible sign of an experience of new birth. In such settings, the steps to salvation were usually as follows. Faith, submission, repentance, and then a conscious decision to follow Christ. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Bits and pieces? That process became the norm. Walk in the aisle, admitting you're a sinner, those sorts of things. And it developed into a transactional formula that was focused on the sinner's prayer. Now, some of you are probably familiar with the sinner's prayer. I didn't know what that meant. I had to look it up. So if you are also not familiar with the sinner's prayer, it can be, also, it can be called a consecration prayer or a salvation prayer. And basically, it is any prayer of repentance. It's for individuals who feel they have sinned. They use this prayer to restore or renew their relationship with God. Here's a really basic version. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins so I could be forgiven. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for coming into my life. Amen. That's a basic sinner's prayer. But Bill Leonard says this about that prayer and about the process that came into being. He says, Conversion turned from a surprising work of God into a salvific transaction. And salvation became less a gift than an entitlement once the necessary transaction was complete. Completing the transaction became the most, actually the only, real responsibility of sinners seeking eternal security. So, that leads to some questions. What if I have never had a conversion experience? What if I never had a moment in which I was saved or born again. Am I saved? So the word salvation comes from the Latin word 
salvus. It means sound, whole, or well. So one way to understand salvation is to be whole with God, to be well with God. Which is why I am confident in saying that salvation can and does happen without a dramatic experience. Without God having to blind us as he did Paul on the road to Damascus. I think many of us in this room who grew up in the church never had some big conversion experience, and yet we are people of faith. And that's important to remember, particularly if we stop thinking about salvation as a transaction. If we stop thinking about salvation as a transaction, there's room to consider that salvation is considerably more holistic, more incarnational, more expansive than we have been led to believe. Here's another way to understand salvation. This is from American Jesuit theologian. His name is Roger Haight. Here's what he says. Salvation may be understood as a condition of being united with God and in and through God and being united with other human beings and at peace in one's existence. I like that one much better. Now, another question that comes up in this conversation, you heard the scripture read, is Jesus the only option? Is Jesus the only option? Jesus says in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That seems pretty clear, doesn't it? But what about people of faith who don't believe Jesus is the Messiah? What about people who aren't familiar with Christianity, but who are good, hardworking, moral people? Well, the thing to know is that Jesus' words in John 14 are part of a series of I am statements. They're used throughout John's Gospels. And according to pastor and professor Caroline Lewis, the I am statements in the fourth gospel make known Jesus as a source of life, abundant grace, and signal the presence of God. But here's the problem. When you take any of those I am statements, but particularly this one, out of context, and originally it's a conversation between Jesus and Thomas, the last time the disciples see Jesus before the crucifixion. It is a very, very difficult, dramatic moment. When you take any of these statements, but particularly this one, out of context, this one becomes evidence for and proof of Jesus as the sole means of salvation, no matter how salvation seems to be defined. That's never how it was intended to be used. So one problem is pulling that verse out of its setting. Another is the glaring misappropriation of this I am statement because when you look at it as exclusionary, Jesus is drawing boundaries, it stands in contradiction to every other I am statement in the fourth gospel. Doing things that way makes I am the way, the truth, and the life become an an indication of God's judgment, exclusion, and absence. And no one comes to the Father except through me, those words become, uh, rather than a promise and something comforting, they become a declaration of prohibition. That's never what that statement was intended to be. Rather, that I am statement, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, 
was intended to be comforting and inclusive to a group of scared, bewildered disciples wanting to know what was going to happen to them in the face of this coming cataclysmic event. Now, with all of that said, what should we make of salvation? What is our response to that you must be born again statement? I have three thoughts. The first is that we do the gospel of Jesus in injustice when we narrow it exclusively to being a safeguard from hell. If you're only following Jesus to avoid hell, you're missing the full picture. And it might be helpful for you to know the Old Testament speaks of salvation three times more often than the New Testament. And when it does talk about salvation, it's usually in the sense of divine deliverance or uh, some sort of presence that preserves peace. Jesus himself rarely says anything about getting into heaven. He focused mainly on present human need. And then in Luke 4, Jesus talks specifically about his mission. And he does this when he quotes Isaiah 61, saying in part, and this will sound familiar, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. That is why Jesus said he came to be among humanity. And yet if you were to ask most Christians, what is the purpose of salvation? Many would say something about going to heaven and eternal life. Now, I'm not saying those two elements aren't involved. They certainly are. Jesus talks about being living water and the eternal life that comes with being in relationship with God. They are important, but they are not the only reasons to follow Jesus. Salvation or being born again were never intended to be what they've become, this radically individualized notion stripped of its value to what it means to be human here and now. Said another way, if salvation is regulated to spiritual abstractions or abstract transactions between Jesus and God, then the radical step God took in sending Jesus, God incarnate, that radical step is meaningless. Thought number two. We need to redefine how we think about salvation. We need to go back to Jesus' message and example. Salvation is not a point of sale. It is not a transaction. It is not we offer God to something and God gives us back a get-out-of-hell-free card. Rather, salvation worth its spiritual salt ought to concern itself with what it means to be fully alive human beings. Because the salvation Jesus promises is alive and active, full of forgiveness, healing, wholeness, grace, and inclusion. Salvation through Jesus is expansive. It centers on transformation instead of transaction. Rather than escaping hell after death, Jesus shows us the way to eliminate hell on earth. Rather than show the way to get people into heaven, Jesus shows the way to get heaven into people. 
That is why Jesus says in Luke 19, Today, salvation has come to this house. For the people gathered there became united with God and with each other. As I said earlier, one way to think about salvation is to be whole with ourselves, with each other, with our community, with the eternal. Finally, thought number three. Christians would do the world a lot of good if we backed off the judgment and exclusivity that often come with salvation. Richard Rohr, the Catholic monk and priest who never holds back, said this, Christians are usually sincere and well-intentioned people until you get to any real issue of ego, control, power, money, pleasure, or security. Then they tend to be pretty much like everybody else. We often give people a bogus version of the gospel, some fast food religion, without any deep transformation of the self. Another element of salvation is moving away from our egotism, our love of power and control, consumerism, greed, violence, so that our true self can experience and express God's liberating love. And if we believe that the message and example of Christ are worthwhile, if we believe that Jesus has something to offer the world, which I hope you do, I certainly do, he shares that through his expansive love, his ready grace, his determination to stand up to empires and powers that would mistreat people. If we believe those things, why would we gatekeep access to wholeness with God? Why would we put up barriers or limitations to finding salvation? Why would we ever act as though salvation is an individual process rather than what it truly is? A sacramental process, nurtured in community and communal humanity. Now, I'm going to stop there. There is much more to be said about salvation. We've just skimmed the surface. But if I keep going, you're all going to fall asleep. But I want to end by sharing this quote with you from emerging church leader. His name is Joe McClure. The gospel is not that we agree with some abstract propositions in order to qualify to go to heaven when we die, but an invitation to live in a new way of life. Sharing the good news, sharing the gospel, is not only about conversion. It is about inviting someone to walk with you intentionally and relationally. And it takes a while to demonstrate that kind of gospel. Amen.
As we come to this time of communion, we remember that this is the table of the heavenly feast, the joyful celebration of the people of God. Christ invites everyone to eat of the bread of life and to drink of the cup of the new covenant, for as Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Those who come to me shall never hunger. Those who believe in me shall never thirst. In the beginning, God provided every plant-yielding seed and every tree with seed in its fruit for food. And when the Israelites were in the wilderness, God fed them miraculous food from heaven called manna. Later, when crowds were hungry, Jesus fed over 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. And when two were walking toward Emmaus, they recognized the anointed one in the breaking of bread. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guests, and Christ is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. We are on holy ground. All are wanted, and all are welcomed here with your doubts, your shortcomings, your failures, your griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Now, if you would, please join me in the alternate Lord's Prayer, this one written by the people of Northminster that is printed in your order of worship. Our God, in whom we move and live and have our being, who is above, below, all around, and within us, your name is beautiful. God reigns in hearts and action. We thank you for the world you created for its beauty and knowledge. Infuse us with your love, promising eternal, both now and forever. Feed us all with life-giving sustenance. Free us from the guilt of our wrongs as we free those who have wronged us. Protect us from dangers, body, heart, mind, and spirit. We believe these petitions can be so through your loving grace. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, he would be seized by those in power. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. For even though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with those he loved most. And as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he shared it with them, saying, Remember me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus picked up a cup, he filled it with wine, and he blessed it. And during his blessing... He reminded his friends that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. Christ offers the same promise to each and every one of us. Thanks be to God. Amen.
please be seated. I've asked you to be seated because we are blessed once again to have new people joining our church, joining our community today. So I'm going to ask Jeff, Charles, and Seth, would you come up here and stand with me? We don't bite, I promise. Come on up. If you haven't had a chance to meet these lovely gentlemen, uh, Jeff is there on the end in glasses, Charles is here in the middle, and Seth is here. They've been visiting with us for oh, a while now, quite a few months. Uh, Jeff, in particular, comes to us from another church in the community. Uh, Seth, you do also, and, and Jeff or Charles, this is your first time being a church member, right? So this is a big day. This is a very special day. We celebrate with you. We are glad that you are here, that you have felt comfortable and loved here. Church, if you would be willing to extend our hospitality and celebrate these wonderful gentlemen joining us, would you please say yes? Yes. I hope you feel welcomed. Now is your opportunity, if you have not met these guys, to meet them after worship. Come up, shake their hand, say hello. Again, we don't bite, so don't worry. We are glad that you're here. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you. And now would you please stand for our closing hymn.
And now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste and superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen. Thank you.